I have been studying and, and looking at some things in the Word uh, from our own from my own understanding, not, not putting a message together, not, not trying to create uh, a teaching or anything, but just from my own personal understanding. So t- today's message may look kind of like soup. <laughs> it may not have a lot of distinction, but uh, just swell her right on down and it'll do you some good. But, but my, my, my personal research and my study in, uh, has started with this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, and that's where we will start this morning. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3. As we have studied the subject of grace, we've taught on it, we have been taught, and we teach on it, but I don't think we still have the fullness, and I don't think we've completely grasped exactly what God had in mind when he sent his son to redeem us. I, I, we, we, uh, we get religious sometimes uh, and, and sometimes religion has pointed out our weaknesses and our sins and our frailties, and, and they are there. They exist, and we need uh, correction, we need instruction, we need discipline in those areas of our lives, but they have to come from the right source for the right reason in order for them to be valuable in our relationship to God. We do some things that have value or significance to us that has no value or significance to God. We do some things that pacify our conscience and doesn't touch the heart of God at all. And so I've been studying and and researching and looking at grace for myself and, and and that's why I said this may look like soup. It may be just kind of a hodgepodge of, of, of my ramblings. And, uh, but, but I have seen, I'm catching a glimpse of what I think is God's heart. I, I finally got close enough to, to what grace is and its significance in our life that, I, that I'm beginning to see uh, what God's intentions were, that God's desire and God's heart. Did you find Ephesians chapter 3? I, I'm just killing time till you get there. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. Look over at somebody, look them right straight in the eye and say, this is going to make sense. Look, go ahead. Yes, this, this is a... A church of faith, is that right? All right. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. The Apostle Paul has already instructed and taught on grace. 
And it's, it's that grace that has the mystery to it. It's the significance and the purpose of grace and its, its fullness is a mystery. And only those people whose hearts are really and truly after God, not just relief, not just uh, uh, insurance policy against being fried in hell. You know what I mean? Not just wanting a better life in heaven, but for those people who are really and truly after God's heart, the mystery is revealed in relationship. It is not revealed in religion. Amen. The mystery, the beauty, is revealed in relationship. Amen. It doesn't come through the keeping of the letter of the law. Amen. It's revealed in us as that relationship begins to develop. And we know each other uh, through a developmental process. I, I, I knew my wife. Uh, we, we had, uh, uh, we had a, a friendship, a relationship uh, for four or five years before I finally talked her into marrying me. <laughs> it took a while, but I was tenacious. And, uh, it, and it took a while, and, and I learned things. In that four or five years, I learned things about her character and her personality. I was first attracted to her beauty and, and, and her, her uh, demeanor. Uh, it was attractive to me. And I, I knew I wanted to get to know that person better to see if she really was what she has appeared to be. And, and as that relationship developed, all of the little mysteries became obvious. Where did she get that demeanor? How was that developed in her personality? All of those little things come to the surface. And, and when you see that the principle of a character is, has roots and is not an act. When you see a, the principles of a person's character has roots... And it's not an act. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can see things in other people's lives, in the demonstration of other people's lives, that, that gets rewarded with acceptance. If, if you're nice, if you're friendly, if you're presentable, if you don't stink and your hair's combed and your teeth are brushed, and, and, and people seem to like you a little better than they do the rest of us. <laughs> so you part your hair and you brush your teeth and, and, you, and you put on your stuff, you know, your... Uh, and <laughs> in order to be accepted. But when nobody's looking, you may go a couple of days. But when that is a part of your character... When it has roots, when, when hygiene has roots and understanding of health and discipline, and it's just a part of who you are, it's not an act that you perform in order to be accepted, it's just who you are, then that has more significance. It's trustworthy, it's dependable, and it's long-term. Now look at each other again saying, this is going to make sense. This is going to make sense. <laughs> so grace has to have roots in you. In order for it to have value in God's eyes, it's not an act. It is a principle of your character. Because you understand it, you know it. It's not just something that you give head knowledge to. It's not something that you've just said, yeah, I, I believe in grace. And you're still trying to come to God on the basis of legalism. When grace has deep roots 
in you and you understand what it is and, and your relationship is based on it, driven by it, and appreciates it, then it's dependable, it's trustworthy, and it's long-term. It does not change with the popular consensus. If you're in a crowd of believers who, who understand and are, are living in grace, then you're in grace. And if you're in a group of people who, who are, are under the law and live by the law and are religious, then you're under the law and live by the law and you're religious. But grace that has significance is long-term, it's dependable, and it's trustworthy. And it doesn't fluctuate, it doesn't change, it just is. My wife just is. She's long-term. She's dependable. And she's trustworthy. And I now know how she got there, why she got there, and what the principal root is in her understanding. And it only makes me love her more. Amen? So grace has... It has a purpose and it has significance and, and God wants us to get it and to understand it and we're in a dispensation of grace and it's through that grace that we're brought back into relationship with God. He reconciled us unto himself. Turn with me or, or just scooch down in your book <laughs> to the 16th verse. We're going to skip over some. I talked to Bert this morning. He said, I only had 45 minutes to preach this morning and he would be checking up on me so we have to hurry. <laughs> Verse 16. And this is the Apostle Paul still speaking in Ephesians chapter 3 and he's still presenting the purpose of grace. That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes Whoa, how can you pass knowledge? Amen. It's the only way. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. So all of the things that God wants to bring us to, the width and the length and the height and the depth, the fullness, not just a superficial relationship, but one that goes to the very depths of God's principles and his desire for us is birthed in us in love. Granted to us through grace by faith. Nowhere in there is religion mentioned. Nowhere in that scenario is religion mentioned. The law was given... According to the Apostle Paul's writings in the book of Romans, starting with chapter 3, the law was given to us to conclude us all under sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What the law taught us was that we were sinners. What the law taught us was that we needed a Savior. We needed to be redeemed. The law taught us that in the flesh, we were sinners. And that in that condition, we needed redemption. 
It alienated us from God. And the cure was not the keeping of the law, but that the law was fulfilled in Christ and granted to us by faith that whosoever would believe. The whole concept of heaven is based on love. The motor that runs heaven is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. The principal character of love is giving. The principal character of love is giving. And God so loved the world of which I am a part, of which you are a part, of which you are a member. This is the earth. You live upon it. And he granted us favor through Christ to whosoever would believe. To whosoever would believe that Jesus was my redemption. That he brought us to this place where through Christ we could come back into relationship with God and begin to grow and to begin to develop into what his intention for us was in the very beginning when he made Adam and Eve. And the the driving force behind that is God's love for us. Love is giving. Taking is raping. Love is giving. Taking is raping. Whether it's sexual, social, financial, whatever the case might be. If you take something that's not being given, that's rape. And God has already give to you. He has already made the presentation of Christ and His fullness. It's already been offered. It's already there. It's already available. He is saying, take it! This is my body. It's already given. You are not raping heaven when you take the fullness of God. You are not stealing anything from heaven when you take of all of His fullness and His benefits. Because it's offered. It's been given. It's yours to receive by faith. You do not qualify for it. We have been trained. We have been trained on achievement-based acceptance. From the time we were little, if you did this right, you got a reward. Oh, yay, Johnny Pottied. Yay, Johnny Pottied, yay. Johnny picked up his toys. Yay, Johnny gets a cookie. Yay. Then we went to school. And if you did it right, yay, you got an A. Or you got a gold star by your name. And everything was based on achievement. And we're trained and conditioned that if we don't achieve, we don't qualify. And we qualify because through Christ, we have been made acceptance. Amen? I have been made accepted in Him. So I qualify. If I believe, I am qualified to receive the fullness, the length, the height and the, have you got everything God has in store for you? Is there anybody here besides me who feels like they're living a little short? I think God's got more in store than what we have experienced. And there's a hunger in me that wants the other part. I'm hungry for something I have never tasted. And I don't know what it is, so I just bite everything. You can tell by looking at me. <laughs> but I'll know it when I bite it. So I just keep biting. 
Amen? I keep reaching for Him. Because what He's after is this love relationship. And in that relationship, His fullness begins to blossom and begins to, to develop and it begins to grow. Turn over to Ephesians. Oh, we are in Ephesians. Are y'all in Ephesians? Oh, good. Just turn over the other page to chapter 5. Chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. In chapter 5 and verse 22, and he's still talking about the same thing. He has not changed subject matter. He's saying in verse 22 in chapter 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives to be the, the, their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He so loved the church he gave. His father so loved the world he gave his son. His son so loved the church he gave himself. And the relationship, and, and, and again, the Apostle Paul refers to this. He says, I speak to you concerning the mystery. It's Christ in the church. It's the oneness that develops through the relationship. And it can come only one way. It can come only one way. It cannot come through religion. It cannot come through the keeping of the law. Are those things evil? No, they're not. But God's after a greater, fuller thing. I, 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 had, I travel and minister and I'm away from home uh, a lot. This is the fifth Father's Day in a row I have not been home on Father's Day. <laughs> but this year, I'm going to be home for our anniversary. <laughs> I have missed several of those too. But that's coming up the 18th of June. And I have promised. This one, I will be home. I wasn't there last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. But this year, <laughs> I'm going to be home on my, on my anniversary. And I've done, snuck up and done some stuff. <laughs> Woo-hoo! I've rented us a little hideaway with a spa. And we're going to be foolish. <laughs> I'm going to thrill my wife because I want to. Amen? I don't leave the house in fear. I don't chain my wife up. I don't lock the doors. I don't live in fear of, of her not being faithful to me in my absence. Never crosses my mind. I don't want a wife that you have to tie up and lock up to make her faithful. I don't want a wife that I have to hold a gun on and say, now honey, say you love me. <laughs> you, you see how dumb that is? Even if she said it in this condition, it wouldn't be satisfying. If you have to twist her arm, if you have to bribe her, if you have to threaten her to get her to say that, that she loves you, it's just not satisfying. Look at me. It's not satisfying to God either. He doesn't want to have to bribe the church. He doesn't want to have to threaten the church. He wants the church to love him the way he loves her. He gave himself. So our attitude has to change. Turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Where are we on the time? Where's the clock? I, huh? I got a lot of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The principles of marriage. 
1 Corinthians. It's just before 2 Corinthians. It's on page 1034. Chapter 7. Verse 3 says this. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Your body is no longer yours, it's his. And his body is no longer his, but it's hers. And the driving force behind any successful marriage is that understanding that I belong to her and she belongs to me. And my driving force is not to satisfy me. My driving force is to satisfy her. And that should be the example of our relationship with Christ. As the church, our driving force should be to, de to desire to please Him. Listen, the measure of a good church service should never be how you felt when you left. Are you listening? The measure of a good church service shouldn't be, boy, wasn't that a good service? I just feel great. What should come out of your mouth is, I hope that we pleased God. It ain't about you. It's about Him. He's about you. If you will get lost in being concerned about being pleasing to Him, He's already dedicated to pleasing you. And the driving force in our hearts should be, we didn't come to get, we come to give. And because God's giving, we can receive. Amen? And it should consume us to the point that we don't think about ourselves. We're thinking about Him. And if that carefulness and that love expression is coming out of us, then we won't miss the subtleties of the will of God. Because sometimes we come to church thinking that we know what's supposed to happen. And God may have something else in mind. I've been in services where, where the worship just pumped and pounded and pumped and pounded, trying to force people to a particular place when God was trying to take everybody to this quiet, still, reverent place where He could whisper. And if our heart is towards Him, then we're going to be feeling for Him. We're going to be reaching for Him. Because it's not about us. If I get lost in Him, He'll get lost in me. My needs will be met. As I give myself totally to Him, He'll meet my needs. Amen? And I'll grow in the development and I'll begin to understand some depth. I'll begin to understand some breadth in the kingdom of God. And in who He is and who He wants to be in me. How many of you know that guy is not listening to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I had absolutely no idea that thing was on. <laughs> you 
It's about being sensitive to God. (laughs) 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 They wasn't listening. (laughs) But there's a place God wants to draw us. And simply getting lost in Him. Uh, this last March, I celebrated 45 years in ministry. March this year. Got my exhortation license in March 1968. And my ordination in September of 1968. I completed a a year's course, prescribed course, in, from March to September, and stood before the board and answered all the verbal questions and received my ordination at the ripe old age of 16. And I've been trying to find God in His fullness ever since. My heart is not content with what I know because I know There's more of him. I know I've only skimmed the surface of who God is and who he wants to be to us. God had a good idea when he created man with his own hands. And he breathed into them his spirit. And I just think we settle for a whole lot less when what drives us is to pacify our conscience and to be okay with me. I want to be okay with God. Amen? Yeah, I don't really care for me all that much. <laughs> what do I mean? I mean, I, I know this guy. And I'm really not all that impressed. But what impresses me is that God loves me. I can't get over it. I can't get over the fact that God knows me and he loves me. Amen. And he wants to be one with me. He wants to be one with me. Earth is supposed to be a father and son experience. You've seen those businesses that says father and son. Earth was where we came because God created us here on this planet. And he said, take dominion, rule, and be fruitful. All kingdom principles. We are supposed to be a father and son relationship. We're supposed to gather from the father and we're supposed to sow it into this earth and there's supposed to be some things that happen on this earth because of our relationship with the father and we're doing what the father sent us to do and there's a completeness there's a satisfying portion and knowing that you finished what daddy started and you can't get it any place else there's nothing in this world there's no trophy There's no recognition that comes anywhere close to the thrill that overshadows you and overtakes you when you know that you did what God wanted you to do at that particular moment, at that particular time. (laughs) He's probably checking on my progress. (laughs) But he is drawing us. I thought I turned that thing off. This is some kind of... I don't know how many buttons you got to push, but I'm fixing to put you out of commission. (laughs) 
in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, you know the story and we don't have to turn there. Y'all do know Genesis is the first book in the Bible, right? Nod your head next spiritual. In the third chapter, we know the scenario. How that God told Adam and Eve that there was one fruit in the garden that they was not supposed to eat of, and it was the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and he tempts Eve and he declares that it's good for you to eat and it'll make you smart as God. And so she takes a bite and she gives it to her husband and you know how the story went. But the scenario reads that they hid themselves when they heard God's voice in the cool of the evening in the garden. And when they ate of that tree said their eyes were opened and they recognized that they were naked. Now when Lucifer was tempting Eve, he never mentioned the word naked. He talked about the fruit. He talked about the fact it would make them smart. They would be smart as God. But he never mentions the word naked. God had never mentioned the word naked. The word naked was mentioned the first time when Adam and Eve looked at each other and they said, we're naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. Uh, well, maybe we better turn over there and look at that. I want you to see Genesis chapter 3. Turn. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, if you're looking at, this is a New King James Version, and the word is coverings. If you look at uh, a real Bible, <laughs> It says aprons, but it's, it means exactly the same thing. It was a covering. And God said, God asked them, who told you you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? See, it didn't become, it wasn't news to God that they were naked. It wasn't news that they were naked to God. He wanted to know who told them. But he knew because before they had an opportunity to answer, he answered for them. You ate of the tree. Because prior to this time, he had been walking in the cool of the evening and sharing fellowship with Adam and Eve And they've been naked all this time. And it never bothered God because he came back. If I come to your house and you're naked, I'm not coming back. <laughs> so before you answer the door, put your clothes on. But God already knew they were. And he had already come back to visit. They were the ones who didn't know because they weren't self-conscious, they were God-conscious. They weren't looking at themselves, they was looking at him and he was looking at them and they was complete and whole and unashamed. Now look at me. I do not believe that it was God's intention for them to remain naked. I don't. Nobody told them that they was. How did they discover that being without a covering was different? Because they had been God conscious and hadn't looked at themselves, and God isn't naked. Isn't that good news? 
the reason they knew they weren't was because he's covered. And he didn't rem- and it wasn't God's intention ever for them to remain naked, but for them to be clothed upon by him. He wanted to come as a natural consequence of their expression of love to him. Not something that separated them, but something that drew them closer. We want to be like you. And we want to be clothed upon. And God is clothed upon in his glory. And what is the covering for us? I'm going to show you something really funny in the word. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. book of Ezekiel. If you got to Daniel, you went too far, turn back. Ezekiel, chapter 28. Ezekiel, chapter 28. Verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord come to me, saying, Son of man... Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And we know (coughs) that he's not talking to the literal king of Tyre, but the principality that's exercising dominion over Tyre because the king of Tyre was never in the Garden of Eden. He's speaking to Lucifer. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, an emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God and walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. Lucifer was anointed by God. He was one of the, uh, one of the archangels. There's Michael and Gabriel, and Lucifer. Gabriel was over the word. Michael was over prayer. And Lucifer was over worship. That was his principal duty. The the Jewish people teach to this day that we are completely uh, in tune and in harmony with God when we discipline ourselves through our total being. Our spirit through prayer, our mind through the study of the Torah, and our body or our flesh through the discipline of the kosher life. And that is worship. All of those things being directed towards God. And Lucifer was in charge of worship in heaven. That was his thing. That was... And he was created by God to do that. And he, that was the covering. He was the anointed cherub who covers. Our covering. God's covering was his glory. Our covering is our worship to God. 
when we're clothed upon with pure and honest worship that's an expression of our love. Worship is the highest form of adoration. When we so adore Him and we worship Him, our covenant, our nakedness is covered by our worship, not by uh, sewing fig leaves together, not through self-righteous acts. Our covering before God is our worship towards Him. And Lucifer lost his position. He lost his covering. And what he wants to do is to uncover and expose humanity because he's exposed. He's uncovered now. He's been kicked out of heaven. He's been destroyed. And what's he want to do? He can't lead worship anymore, so he wants to pervert yours. Instead of it being towards God, he wants it to be towards him. If you read Isaiah chapter 14, is it? 14? Where he said, I will. Lucifer said, I will be exalted. I'll be lifted up. I'll be like the Most High. What did he tell Jesus in Matthew? He told him, he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms of this earth. He don't care how much you worship as long as you're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But when you are, it's the covering that covers you before God. You can stand before God covered in your worship and praise to Him, and there's no shame. You can stand before God and lay your heart bare and be accepted, be received into the very presence of God. And your covering is the covering that once belonged to Lucifer. It is your worship. God's clothed in glory. You're clothed in your worship and adoration. Amen. And to put on anything else, to put on a religious act or anything else, it's like dirty rags as compared to what it is that God's heart wants to see you clothed in. Amen. I have, uh, in 45 years of ministry, I've pastored six different churches. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people get all puffed up and blowed up in themselves and become self-important and come in and thump on my desk and say, you don't recognize me as much as you should. I'm more important to this church than you're telling them people that I am. Now I'm leaving here and when I leave, this church is going to fall plumb apart. I heard that more than once from males and females. And you know the sad part about it was? 80% of the time, it was the worship leader. And 90% of the time when they left, the church actually grew. They come here from, they come to hear my worship and praise. They didn't come to hear your sorry old sermons. They came here to hear me sing. <laughs> Did you read what it said in the 16th verse of Ezekiel chapter 28? He said, He spoke of him and said, you're perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. The word trading in the Hebrew text there, we, 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 in some, some scriptures that word is uh, merchandising. But in the Hebrew, it has a different connotation. It's a negative one. It is where a person is selling goods for another party. Uh, and, and, and when the transaction is made, he skims a little piece of that off for himself and puts it in his pocket and gives the rest of it to his employer. 
he prices it for, for this price and tells his boss he sold it for that price and he puts the difference in his pocket. That's what that means. He takes a little of it for himself. And that's when Lucifer began to fall. When we take a little bit of the glory that belongs to God for ourselves, a little of the recognition that should have been from men to their Heavenly Father, and we take a little piece of that for ourselves. The most liberating thing as a pastor, the most liberating thing is when you recognize that you're working for God and not for yourself and not for the people. I'm not here and Pastor Bert's not here to serve you. We're here to serve the kingdom of God in you. And the liberating factor is, is when, when we recognize and we know that, that our success and failure is not based on your opinion of us, but God's opinion of us. I'd rather know that I'm doing what God told me to do than do what I think you want to hear. And that liberates me. Plus it also sets me free just to do what God said whether it's appreciated or liked or not. And sometimes that sounds uh, cruel, but it isn't. Because I'm not here to serve selfish ambitions anywhere, in here or out there. My purpose is to serve God's kingdom in you, to advance it, to cause it to grow. Amen? And when, when my desires turn towards him completely and the only place that I need recognition is from him. The only place that I need recognition is from him. Now, I'm kind of tough on myself. I'm tougher on me than God is. And that's the truth. Because when I leave here, I'm going to beat myself up over this message this morning. I do it every time. I've done it for 45 years and this year's not going to be any different. Because I question my ability to convey the truth that I hear in my spirit in a palatable form where you get it. Okay? So I'm going to beat myself up a little bit and say, you know, you could have said that a little different and maybe they'd have got it. But the truth of the matter is the only recognition I need is from Him. Because I didn't come here to do my thing. I came here to do his thing. And that is to capture your attention and draw you to the place where grace is released in you. And the only thing in life is for you to devote your attention to him. And he devotes his attention to you. Amen. And he's already committed to doing that. And we read that passage of scripture that your body is no longer yours, it's his. And his body has already been given to you. They nailed it on a cross. And he said, here, take it and eat it. It's yours. And then he says this in that same passage of scripture, same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If a woman divorces her husband, she shouldn't, but if she does, Let her marry him again. Let her marry him again. And society that we live in today, that's not practiced. But God keeps his word. And his heart's open to you even if you've divorced him and gone astray. He's saying, we can do this over. Come back home and be one with me again.
Now that's love. People, that's L-O-V-E, God kind. You can't get any better than that. You can't get any better than that. You can't get any deeper, any richer, any realer than the fact that God is willing, even after we've gone astray. He's done it to the nation of Israel over and over again. Throughout history, they follow God and then they fall back into, into secular and worldly things and God would take them back and take them back and take them back and take them back and take them back. I'd have nuked them. You know, I mean, about the fourth or fifth time, I just went ahead and nuked them. But he just keeps taking them back. And he's saying to you, if you goof, if you go astray, if you get led astray by the desires of your own heart and your own lust, he says, I'm waiting on you to come home. The door's open. The love is still there. And people, that's grace. Amen. Now I want to show you one more little picture, and then I'm going to quit on time. <laughs> Allow me a poetic license. Oh, we'll write it right here. A poetic license. We see the attitude of Lucifer. I will. All he talked about in Isaiah chapter 14. Well, let's just turn real quick. Because we didn't, we will. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? I will. And every adjective that he associates with himself is an elevated one. It's up, it's to the mountain, it's high, it's lifted up. I'm, I'm supposed to be up there with the big boys. And I want you to pay careful attention to the words. It didn't say he said that out loud. It said he said it in his heart. Did you read that? He didn't say that out loud. It said, you have said in your heart, I will. I will. Here's the guy that led worship and praise in heaven. And most beautiful position. And God made it beautiful. Had all that jewelry. Had everything going for him. And then he, he wanted to be above God. And so God kicks him out of heaven. Just allow me to extrapolate <laughs> a little bit. But I can imagine Lucifer saying, well, it'll never be like that again. Now, once I've left worshiping praise, it'll never be like that again. It'll, it, it, it might be kind of good, but it'll never be like it was when I was leading the worship. And I can hear him just mumbling under his breath, Wonder what God's going to do for worship and praise leader now. And here's my picture of God. 
He said, uh, 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 Lucifer, hold, hold on a minute. And he reaches down and he picks up a handful of clay and he starts shaping it with his own hands. And Lucifer says, what are you doing? He says, I'm making my next worship and praise leader. That's you. You're what God made out of the dirt. And what clothes you in the presence of God is your worship. You don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to be naked. You can stand before God with your heart full of adoration and worship Him. Amen. You're the worshiping praise leader. And he wants it to come. Not because it was squeezed out of you. Not because your arm was bent. Not because you was forced. But as a natural consequence of your love towards him. You just say. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because you considered a little boy from Oklahoma and you visited him in an old stump in the pasture. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And I love you today. I love you tomorrow. And I love you forever. And I have no other need for any other recognition but your love for me. Nothing satisfies my heart as much as your recognition of me. And I need nothing else. I want for nothing more. And today, my desire is to say Happy Father's Day. My desire is to say Happy Father's Day. Would you stand to your feet with me? Say, Daddy God, happy Father's Day. to you. May we discover new things and may everything that comes out of us in the form of ministry expression is just our desire to be pleasing to you. We have no other ambition. We have no other desire except to please you. And we thank you today because you are the kindest gentlest and most long-suffering Father. We have failed. We've done goofy things. and We've done things that we were led astray by our own appetites. Today we ask for your forgiveness and 
We don't cover them up with self-righteousness. We lay them bare. And we say the only clothing that we want to be covered up with is our worship and praise to you. And we thank you. We thank you for your long-suffering, for your gentleness, and for your love. Teach us how to give as freely as you have given to us. Teach us how to love so deeply that giving is a nature, a principle of our character. Not a pretend one, not an act, not something that's forced, but something that comes out of our heart as an expression of love to you. You gave us your all. And we're here today to dedicate our all to you. We want to be your sons and your daughters. And we want you to be pleased with us. When you look at us, we want it to be a smile on your face. And we want you to say, Behold my servant. And we thank you for all that you have done for us. Teach us how to be that kind of a father to our sons and daughters. Teach us how to lead them beside the still waters in the pastures of green grass and into your presence. And we thank you. We thank you for all that we have and all that we receive. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being attentive this morning. I thank you for allowing Pastor Bert to call his old oaky friend. Live every day doing your best to get closer to him. Amen. God bless you.